Everyone is bright and chipper with an extra hour of sleep, unless you have young children and they didn't get that memo, did they? So they're just up an hour early. But uh, thank you for, uh, for coming this morning. We are starting to move towards the close of our series on marriage, and, uh, but on the outline you'll see today's topic is till death do us part, really warm and fuzzy and uh, <laughs> just what everybody wants to talk about. So uh, ahead of that, let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for the morning. We're thankful for the opportunity to talk about marriage, its purposes as designed by you, the gift it is to us, and also to address the difficulties and the challenges we face as uh, broken and sinful people inside of that commitment. And so help us, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, many of you were married in Christian churches and you took a vow that says something like this. I, Chuck, take you, Melissa, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. According to God's holy ordinance, this is my solemn vow. Some version of that, most likely you said, if you were married in a church. Uh, they're classic words. They've been used for hundreds of years, especially in English-speaking churches. And they are informed by the biblical notion of what a covenant is, okay? It's reflecting God's commitment to his church, reflects scriptural language, particularly out of Ruth chapter 2, okay? But it's built on solid foundations. Every once in a while, a couple will come to me and request the right to, uh, to construct their own vows, and uh, I was given the great freedom as a young pastor to always say no. Uh, it's one of the gifts that my, uh, my first senior minister had given to me. He said, we don't do that. And, uh, and it's not because it's necessarily wrong, but it's just that oftentimes what happens in that substitution is in the idea of a vow becomes more about a sentiment and a passion. And, uh, and so his point always to me was, Chuck, we just use the traditional language because that traditional language always captures what it is biblically we want to uh, express and the commitment of one person to another in undying faithfulness. He said, so that's the goal. I had one friend who decided to write his own vows and then in, his, in the heat of the moment, he decided he's gonna memorize it and that this was gonna be the most epic wedding ever. And it was the most epic wedding ever. Because he got so nervous, he forgot his memorized vows. And so it turned into, so Jill, despite earthquakes and floods and fires, and, and it, it got really dramatic, um, and it all just fell apart. But, you know, beyond vow writing, the simplicity of these vows is what's important. And the power of it is not in sentiment and in emotion, it's in commitment. Because one thing that we've talked about over these weeks is that modern approaches to love and marriage are built on a very different foundation than the Christian understanding of it. Uh, that uh, modern love and commitment to marriage uh, has emphasized personal self-fulfillment and psychological happiness as the basis of one's commitment to another person. And so when we fall out of love, or when we feel like the, the friendship has dissolved, when we feel like there's nothing there, 
it's seen as okay simply just to walk away and that we can even do so amicably. I've watched people do this on Facebook very publicly where they announce that we've just grown apart. And so it's time for us to be honest. And so they, they act like there's virtue in it. And so we're stepping away. Christians approach these things in a very different manner. Okay, when we think about love and marriage and commitment, we are talking about a lifelong, life-giving union between husband and wife. And one of the things that's important for us in this conversation is not just critiquing what's going on out there in the world, but it is recognizing that you and I are all in the cultural pot, okay? And we have been bombarded with different values and different messages that come from the broader culture. And as Christians, we have to work back through that, okay? And so we are rehabbing our understanding of what Christian marriage is, and that is in order to strengthen what goes on in our homes and in our churches and in our life in the world. So we must be aware of this influence from the modern approach because that approach does strangle many marriages. People just walk away. And then for those who decide to remain married, its legacy is just that you kind of negotiate a truce and live kind of parallel lives next to one another, okay? And there's many Christian versions of that as well. That's not the goal. Our goal is far more profound. And so we're gonna ask a simple question this morning, is how do we live in a life-giving union for the long haul? Till death do us part, okay? We're gonna talk about three things this morning. First, remain focused on the goals of marriage. You could define the goals of marriage in a whole lot of ways. I'm just gonna provide you three, okay? The first one is companionship. Genesis 2, verse 18, why does God say that he gifted Eve to Adam? That was not rhetorical. Interact. <laughs> okay? It's not good for him to be alone. Okay? And so God gifted Adam with a wife, a helper who was to come alongside. It was his partner. Okay? And this is one of the chief goals of marriage is just companionship or what you could call spiritual friendship or just friendship. Christianly understood. And guys, when it boils down to it in your marriage, the foundation of a good marriage is that friendship. Okay? There's a lot of other things that accompany a marriage, but at its base and its foundation is that friendship and that commitment to one another. And what we have to do is we must commit and we must recommit to being good companions who delight in one another's company. Now, when you first begin to date and you fall in love, there are literally chemical things going on in your brains, okay? Psychologists are well aware of this and they call it the in love phase, okay? And it can last anywhere from six months to two years. And then guess what? Begins to change, okay? It fades. And that's because that in love phase, that euphoria that kind of happens to us physically in our, in our anatomy is how God has designed us, that begins to wear off. Doesn't mean that there's not still romantic feelings and attractions and all those things, but it does mean that we also, also have to work through that. And it's also not the basis and the foundation of a, of a good marriage. Because also in that initial phase, it's what attracts you to that person is that there is some type of delight there is some type of attraction, something that draws us to one another. And it's that idea of companionship that we have to keep vital and strong 
over the long haul, okay? And that's where the challenge uh, exists. Now, this companionship is gonna take many different forms and it's almost impossible to talk about this well because you're each different and your relationships are different. But I just wanna give you some ideas about how that companionship gets embodied, okay? Some of you may just need a little bit of um, ventilation on the embers, okay? Just need a little air to help stoke the fire and this is really what that's designed uh, to do. One of the things that your spouse needs for you, this is the first bullet point here, is you could just call it quality time together. Now, when I say quality time together, I'm not just talking about the persons who love language that is, but I'm, ta and I'm not talking about exotic date nights or uh, lavish vacations, but I'm just talking about shared time together where the other person knows that you're their priority, okay? Now, that can look like a date night, that can look like watching TV after the kids have gone to bed. That can look like washing the dishes together, okay? But it's just intentional time where the other person knows that they are your priority. Guys, at the basis of any friendship, time together is critical, okay? And if you don't invest time together, what happens to the friendship? Atrophy. Okay? It will just simply weaken, all right? And so we just need to think about the, that basic concept of intentional time together because when you look at modern marriages and where we are in uh, different phases of life, is it really easy to ignore that? Yes, there are so many things pulling at your time. You have so many different responsibilities. Some of you have kids in the home, okay, uh, where they're pulling you in so many different directions. One of the worst years of Melissa and I's life was the year that we had a child in elementary school, middle school, and high school, okay? Because there were three different schedules where school started and ended inside of a, <laughs> inside of a two hour window, okay? And, uh, and there were all kinds of different commitments and nobody could drive themselves, okay? It was better when they were illiterate. That was what we used to say, you know, this was, it, it, would be, it was better when they were all under five and in diapers, all right? Um, but it was just one of the most stressful years, and, uh, and it was really easy for us not to prioritize companionship at that point because life just felt so full, all right? But that's one of those moments where you have to be especially intentional and, uh, and thinking about how do we cultivate just our friendship by having time together, all right? And again, that doesn't have to be fancy. It's just, uh, in terms of intentionality, it's very meaningful. This morning, uh, just as I was uh, pulling up here to start our Sunday school class, I received a text from one of my spiritual mentors who said, Chuck, I'm praying for you today. Did that take very long for him to type that out? No? What kind of deposit did that make for me? Huge, okay? Oh, thank you, you know? Um, guys, that's just a friend uh, and a mentor uh, who, who has influence in my life, and you can do something so much more profound for your spouse, okay? Just be intentional. Take, those, uh, take that moment, take that intentionality, all right? That's the first way. Second one, pride and loyalty. Show interest and pride in your spouse's work, service, gifts, and accomplishments. If one spouse is at home, then this work deserves attention and praise as well, okay? So you don't just prioritize one over the other, but it is being really interested in what your spouse does 
and how they're doing it and not just getting bored with it and tired with it, okay? And that means being invested in who they are and what they do. It means contributing to it and seeing the ways that you can be a part of it. It means in all the appropriate, humble ways of bragging about your spouse and being their biggest fan, okay? And I'm talking about both sides, all right? This is critical, but pride and loyalty in your spouse and demonstrations of that out in the public really go a long ways in terms of companionship. It's one of ways that we express that we are for each other, okay? And so think about how you can apply that. Third, just call this shared interest, okay? And I'm particularly talking about um, kind of shared interest in intellectual thought and growth, all right? So this involves sharing one another's mental world, cultivating thought through, relate, uh, through reading or studying something together for discussion. One of the uh, pieces of advice that I often give couples when they are struggling in their marriages, I'll just say, hey, I want you to pick one of 10 of these marriage books and read it together, okay? You get to read a chapter and you get to read a chapter and then I just want you guys to t schedule some time, just one time each week where you come together and discuss what it is you read and what was most important to you. It's not a very difficult exercise, okay? And it's not necessarily um, that I'm just saying, hey, this one book. But I just know that in the exercise of actually reading and then discussing, they're going to get to a whole lot of things that are really important and maybe what's not going well in their marriage. But guys, you can do that uh, over a marriage book. You can do it over an article. You may want to read something about parenting if you're in that phase. You may want to read something about caring for parents who are aging and uh, moving towards um, moving towards death. Whatever it is, you may want to do it about a topic of theology. You know, the Colsons end up talking a whole lot about John Calvin, uh, and Melissa, <laughs> Melissa has been a good sport <laughs> um, across five years. She knows more about Calvin than, uh, <laughs> than most. <laughs> so, um, you know, but getting interested in your spouse's world, sharing those interests, sharing those inclinations, reading, uh, doing constructive things together uh, builds companionship. Uh, finally, trust, openness, and vulnerability. Um, for a companionship to really form, it has to be a safe place. It has to be a safe place where both sides feel like they can seek refuge there, where they can share their fears, their hurts, and their weaknesses. Okay? And this is what marriage requires of us. Some of us are better at this than others. And this is not, you know, for some guys, they view this as kind of the girly stuff. Um, this is not the girly stuff. Okay? Some of the most macho guys I ever met, uh, have ever met are so full of fear and uh, the fear of failure and they can never acknowledge it and they never see the impact that that thing is having on their marriage and on their relationships with their kids, okay? And so we need to be able to talk openly and diagnose ourselves and your spouse, you gotta have that trust, that openness and that vulnerability. And it's that kind of communication, it's that kind of space uh, when that's real, that builds companionship, okay? And perhaps in a way uh, that even excels all the others, and in some ways it assumes all the others, okay? So those are just ways of thinking about companionship. So we're talking about this big idea of remaining focused on the goals of marriage. First one, companionship, that we're not built to be alone, and so how do you build that companionship? Those are just four ideas. Now, secondly, household. Obviously, God... Uh, 
created Adam and Eve. He gave them as a gift to one another. He establishes the institution of marriage, and he does so particularly for the purpose that children uh, would be brought into the world. Not every marriage um, is given the gift of children. That doesn't mean that you're not building a household. And also not every household always has children within it, right? You mature beyond this. It's kind of the the horizon that uh, the Colsons are approaching. Um, But the idea here is that the household is something larger than just husband and wife. It's also something larger than just husband, wife, and children, okay? The Christian household is a commitment to an institution, okay, that has responsibilities out in many spheres of the world. So the healthy marriage is committed to a vision of life that goes beyond the relational dynamics between husband and wife, okay? You're committed to something bigger than just that. It involves the construction of a household in which Christian witness is offered to the world through your work, through your raising of children, through your influence upon grandchildren, through your life out in the community, and also through your church, your relationships at church. And so the Christian marriage situates itself within this broader sphere, okay? So when you think about your marriage, you always have to think about multiple webs of reciprocity, okay? All the places that your marriage connects you in life. All right, and that's a healthy way to think about your marriage, that you have responsibilities out in that broader sphere because your marriage is a source of influence out in that world. And so a Christian marriage commits itself to achieving goals within those spheres, talking about what it is that we want to represent, what it is that we want to be known for, what it is that we want to be committed to, and then we take up responsibilities in those spheres. Some of the most uh, challenging and fun couples I have been around are couples that kind of set goals around their values and their Christian values and beliefs. And they say things like this. I'm just going to give you examples. We're going to be committed to this particular uh, ministry, and we're going to seek to, uh, to see how generous we can be towards it. Okay? Uh, that was particularly couples who have kind of already launched their kids and they're later in life, and they have more freedom with their income. Okay? Or there are younger couples who say, hey, we're going to seek to really be intentional with our kids. We want to raise them in a way that's pleasing to God. We're going to teach them to be responsible adults, and that's going to be our particular focus during these years. All right? Really respectable, too. But hopefully you can just see it's that pattern and that goal and thinking about where are we going with this and how does it connect to the outside world, okay? Um, and it, those types of people, I find that they are the ones who people come and ask advice of, okay? Because someone will notice that value and say, hey, how did that happen? And it just doesn't happen by chance, okay? But it's this idea of being committed to the Christian household and its witness in the world and all the responsibilities that that introduces us to. All right? Third, sanctification. That this is one of God's goals for you in marriage. Many authors have said that you have to remember that marriage is not about your happiness, but your holiness. Okay? I like Helen Rowland's quote uh, better. Marriage is the operation by which a woman's vanity and a man's ego are extracted without anesthetic. Perfect. Okay? That is what's going on. Okay? 
This was not the original design prior to the fall, but after the fall, this is God's, one of God's great purposes in marriage. I remember telling Melissa after kind of that in love phase had faded off, which I think it only took about <laughs> six months for me to wear that down, uh, you know, for her. Um, but, uh, you know, I told her, I said, it feels like marriage is like sanctification vice grips. Uh, I have a private investigator in my life and all the things I was able to shield from the public, all the things I didn't want people to see are now fully exposed, okay? This is one of the gifts that marriage is to you, okay? No matter how invasive it feels, how violating it may be, uh, God is doing that for a particular reason, and it's because he's given you a partner to travel with you while you are incomplete and broken and fractured and sinful as a person, and he's given you somebody to journey along with you as you kind of make your way towards new creation uh, and the hope of the world to come. So he's given you a friend and an ally who's going to help you. And guys, what we have to decide is what kind of help are we going to be to one another? Are we going to be that destructive help that communicates competition and negativity and overarching critique? Or are we going to be the kind of help that shares loving criticism? Or I should say loving critique, not criticism. Criticism's the universal thing, right? That's what we talked about last week. Um, are we going to be that loving critique that pushes someone towards uh, their union with Jesus and walking with him and, uh, and towards honoring God and turning away from sin? So that's the question that we have to answer is what kind of role am I going to play in my spouse's life? Okay. Am I going to uh, be a gentle role towards sanctification? And then we have to also answer the question, am I going to receive my spouse as someone who has a role in pushing me towards sanctification? Because can you resist that? Uh-huh. <laughs> Nod your heads, all of you. I know it. Um, okay, you can resist that. Okay? It's very easy to get in such a defensive place that when your spouse offers you feedback, you just don't want to listen to it at all. Okay? And that doesn't set you up uh, in a successful place. Those are the broader goals of marriage. Sanctification, the building of a household that's connected to the world. Okay? It's something bigger than just uh, you and your spouse. And, uh, and also the, um, the companionship idea. All right, second, answering the question, how do we live in a life-giving union for the long haul? Love the stranger. All right, we've, uh, we've mentioned this quote before, and I've read part of it to you, but I've not referenced this part. Okay, this was written by a theologian at uh, Duke University. Um, it's an interesting take on marriage. Listen to what he says. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we first marry the right person, just give it a while, and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing it is, means we are not the same person after we have entered it. The primary problem is this, learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married. This may sound strange for those who've been uh, married perhaps a short time, but it normally makes incredible sense to those who've been married for uh, a bit of time and have a bit of experience, that life changes us. It just simply does. I'm not the same person I was when I was 25 years old and Melissa and I took our initial vows. I've been changed by many different factors 
And guys, there are many different things that have happened to you that have changed you along the way. There's personal illness, just things that enter our lives that were unwelcome, things that we didn't ask for. There are kids, and there are kids, <laughs> okay? This changes us. There are careers, there are disappointments, and there are triumphs. Those all change us. There are sufferings that are unexpected. And then there is the aging process, because we can't all pretend that we just get to stay at 27, okay? Traits and characteristics, and not necessarily appealing ones, are revealed in our marriages, okay? Along that maturing process, you get to see sides of your spouse that are just golden. You get to see some of their strengths that just shine as you see them go through various challenges. And then you also get to see incredible weaknesses, okay? And you're exposed to all that. This happens to every marriage. And the question is, what will you do with all of that? What do you do with this person whom, yes, you know, but yet is also changing and is complex and meets various challenges in life and has particular weaknesses? And how are you going to live with that stranger? The answers in our culture, when we feel that strangeness in marriage, is to put the word incompatible on it. Okay? And what we're saying today is that word is really not in our vocabulary. Because incompatible is what you are as two different people. God knows that. You are incompatible. <laughs> the challenge of marriage is to overcome that incompatibility, that strangeness. And it's to overcome that strangeness with love. And so the question for us is, will you train your attention on the idea that you've grown differently and grown apart in an attempt to justify going separate ways? Or, or will you embrace that difference, that strangeness, and move towards one another? And guys, that's the challenge that every Christian marriage faces, that in all the seasons of life, all the various changes uh, that take place in you and in, in, in myself, that are we going to overcome that strangeness and that otherness of the, of the other person? Are we going to cross that bridge with love? So the primary problem is that learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you find yourself married, okay? Are you committed to that? And perhaps just remind your spouse this afternoon, I don't know if you've taken up the spiritual exercise yet. I've heard a whole lot of people say, yeah, we're working on it. <laughs> it's, <laughs> we got the first step done. I know it's hard. It may take some time. Um, but maybe just take the afternoon off, take it light, and just remind your spouse that, hey, I'm committed to you. I'm committed exclusively to you, and I'm for doing this life together with you in particular. Just take that intentional moment and tell them why. Tell them why you're excited about that. Um, and this goes towards breaking down that strangeness and moves towards one another. So love the stranger. Now, third... This is really simple, and it's really related to the last point, but stay the course. Um, life is going to present you any number of transitions and challenges. And marriages, kind of all the research points, it's those moments of transition that particularly kind of torpedo marriages. Okay, it's transitions 
uh, in life where our weaknesses tend to get exposed, okay? So it's when you add a kid, it's when you make a move, it's when you start a new career, okay? It's when you go to an empty nest, it's when you're dealing with aging parents, okay? It's these big types of transitions in life uh, where people uh, tend to really sink and really struggle, okay? And, uh, and so we have to uh, be particularly aware of those transitions and the challenges they face, and we have to be ready to step into it with our spouse, letting them know that we're for them. Several years ago, Melissa and I were facing uh, a big vocational challenge. There were hardships that were coming in, pressures on both of us uh, that, were, that were fairly extreme. And I remember one evening that those pressures had created a tension between us, and this was starting to boil over into a conflict. And it was at that point that we both looked at each other. And it was almost simultaneous that we said, we don't have the energy for this. Let's not do it. And guys, it's not that we haven't had a fight since, that we haven't had a disagreement, and that we hadn't had some warm uh, conversations. But something did break that day. Because what we ended up talking about, while we were about to go to the overflow spot, you know, where there's going to be uh, more of a non-constructive conflict, is we ended up saying, hey, I'm for you, and I know that this is incredibly difficult, and you've got a war out in the world outside of you, and so do I, and it's incredibly intense, and what we need right now is not going at one another. What we need is to be for each other. And I think what happened in that moment was something kind of broke. You know, some kind of competitiveness that sometimes existed between us. Something began to be filed down. It's not perfect. It's not healed. I'm not going to set myself up in that way in front of you. Um, but it was a profound moment where we were able to affirm each other and just simply say, I am for you and it's us, and we've got everything else out there that we've got to do that God's calling us to step into, and let's do it together. Let's not do it apart. Let's not do it just parallel, you know, and let's not do it just kind of in this truce that we can make between ourselves, um, but let's step into it together and be supportive of each other. And guys, that's one of those gifts um, that's difficult to define. It's hard to put your finger on but it's also you know when you're around it. You know, I know I'm w when I'm with a seasoned older couple that is for one another. It's a gift. It creates a wonderfully hospitable place uh, to be with people who are like that. Because life will present any number of tradition, uh, transitions and challenges. I'm just gonna list some for you so you can kind of know where the trouble spots can be. I'm gonna try to go back behind me in history and I'm gonna try to go in front of me, okay? So there are the early days of education and establishing our careers, okay? Has its own unique um, freedoms. It also has its own unique challenges. Maybe when you're first married and you're trying to finish your professional education or you're trying to get set up in your vocational calling. There's the first kid. And then there's the second kid. And then perhaps maybe the third and maybe the fourth and you've got diapers and snot and sickness and it's like your house is a Petri dish, you know, and nobody ever sleeps and it's just absolutely exhausting. And uh, many people think they're never gonna see the light of day again. 
and uh, they just wonder about their future. But this is a particular phase, it's a particular transition and challenge. Then there's the transition to schooling and all the complication this presents for relationships and, uh, and all the worries that we have for our kids. How are they gonna turn out? How are they gonna do as Christians inside of uh, different challenging spaces? How are we gonna shape their values and beliefs? All the worries that, uh, that pop up. There are the triumphs and challenges and disappointments with careers. There's good bosses and bad bosses. There's loss of jobs. There's um, just things not materializing the way that we wanted them to uh, sometimes. There are aging parents and the need to care for them. This is just simply part of life as we mature and grow, um, is uh, caring for our parents as, as, they move towards, uh, as they move towards their own mortality. There's college and the desire to see your children succeed in life. All the energy that's gone into raising these little rascals for 18 years. And so getting them into college or getting them out into the world, into a successful career, this becomes a source of a massive transition, one that the Colson family is particularly looking at right now. And, uh, you know, and it, it, is a, it is a major turning point in life. There's the empty nest and the loss that can accompany this stage. Just simply having gone from a full house to where there's just two of you. And then sometimes couples are looking at each other and asking, what do we do now? Gosh. <laughs> um, but uh, a big transition. There's the unexpected illnesses and personal struggles that come along the way. This is not just related to, uh, to later in life. There's autoimmune diseases. There's dealing with, um, with things like COVID. Uh, there's dealing with, uh, with sickness and there's dealing with, um, uh, with depression all kinds of things that afflict us along the way in all kinds of different places on the path. There's retirement, and in retirement, the loss of purpose for some people. What am I doing with myself now? Causes tremendous struggle. And there's personal aging. Personal aging all along the way. Personal aging all along the way as we have to embrace the idea uh, that we are mortal. This happens um, in many different shapes and forms. It's not just after retirement and don't pretend ever that it is, okay? Uh, perhaps for the men in the room, some of the deepest struggles happen in the 40s, mid to late 40s. You know, they call it the midlife crisis is how it kind of gets joked about, but it is actually a real thing, okay? Just men, as they lose their virility, as they lose their sense of... Uh, of agency in the world as they kind of see where their career is going, if they're not particularly satisfied, it can kick off a whole lot of crisis, okay? And thinking about, hey, who, uh, who am I and what do I want, okay? Um, and so the, this whole idea of uh, coming to grips with mortality is a big one and dealing with aging. And guys, what we get to do is stay the course with our spouse through all those transitions and about a thousand others that uh, I didn't even touch on. And it's to be the one person in each other's life who says, I am for you and I am with you. Okay? Where we mimic the dynamics of the gospel because God has sworn a covenant to us that in Jesus, he is for us and he is with us and his commitment never fails. And he asks you to then mirror that commitment with your spouse, that you be for them and with them, that you love them enough to offer them gentle correction and critique, that you offer them feedback, that you offer them companionship, 
that you offer them the gift of support, of pride and loyalty, even when it is all falling apart. Guys, this is what staying the course looks like, and it's what those Christian vows are really all about. Listen to the words again. For better, for worse. You know, Cranmer had a gift with the English language, and uh, he translated some old Latin text really well, and we like the poetry of this, but let it sink in. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. That's not superficial stuff. That is God calling you to undying commitment and faithfulness to your spouse. It's asking you to be that kind of person who can live into that kind of covenant. And perhaps this afternoon, one other exercise that you can take up, and it is a regular one uh, that I try to exercise. It's just to say a simple prayer. God, help me to be the kind of person who keeps that covenant because I know your commitment to me. It's really at uh, the heart of it all, guys. Uh, it's that simple, but it's also recognizing all the weakness that we bring into this relationship. It's recognizing our dependence. And God, help me, give me the strength to be the kind of person who fulfills this vow. Don't let this vow just be a poetic moment that was sentimental and sweet in front of people but rather let it be the commitment of my life that this is one thing that I would be known for. Oof, sorry, about to choke up. <laughs> that I am Melissa's husband and that I was faithful at that task and that for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, for sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, to death do his part, that I did that. You only get one shot at it. And one of the things that Melissa and I have discussed, we get one shot at this, and we haven't done this perfectly, but let's not just have a good marriage. Let's strive to make it the best marriage that you and I can with all of our faults, all of our failures, all of our weakness. And so make that your goal. Make that the goal rather than picking each other apart. Ask for God's help to make it that way. Let me pray. Father, we recognize all of our weakness. We recognize all the cultural influences that attempt to direct us to view marriage in a different way. And God, we ask for your help. We ask for your help that we would be reminded of the goals of marriage that you created and companionship and building a household, and sanctification, that we'd be transformed from one degree of glory to another. We ask that we'd be willing to step across the strangeness and the otherness to love and embrace one another in all the changing seasons of life. And that in that embrace and in that sacrifice, that we would find more meaning and more fulfillment in all the purposes that you've created marriage for. Help us to be that kind of people that lays down their life and sacrifices for one another and walking with each other. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.